Now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my salvation. Amen. So, what does prayer do, and how does it work? What does prayer do, and how does it work? Those are some of the questions we'll wrestle with today as we engage in this reading from Luke's Gospel. Luke tells us, that Jesus was in a certain place. Remember, we're, we're in this wilderness time, this time between Jesus leaving Galilee, setting his face upon Jerusalem, and his entry into Jerusalem on the way to the cross and the grave and the resurrection. And so in this space, Peter has proclaimed, you are the Christ. Peter, James, and John have seen the glory of the Lord revealed at the transfiguration. And yet, they don't really get it. This is a time where Jesus reorders the messianic expectations of the disciples in this road through the region of Samaria on the way to Jerusalem. Luke tells us that Jesus is in a certain place. He doesn't name the place. It's a place that could be any place, but it is a certain place. This is Jesus in the midst of day-to-day life stopping to pray. And the disciples come to him and say, teach us to pray. You know, these are guys that they've been praying their whole lives. They've been going to synagogue. They know the prayers of the rabbis. This isn't something new to them that says, wow, this guy's praying. I don't know what that is. Tell us what prayer is. They know what prayer is. But they say, Jesus, teach us the way that you are praying. Teach us the way that you are praying, just as John taught his disciples the way that he was praying. 
Teach us to pray because you're a prophet and a teacher. See, there's this key reference to John, to John the baptizer. And we'll, we'll come back to that anchor here in a little bit as we dive into this prayer. But they say, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus responds, not with this radical prayer that no one's heard before. He responds with a very Jewish prayer. He responds with what we have come to call the Lord's Prayer. But Luke tells it to us in what is a very concise form. You know, what we call the Lord's Prayer doesn't come about in, in, in written form until the Didache, the teaching of the Twelve, as, as a synthesis of the way that the church prays. And so the way Luke describes this scene is a way that contributes to the narrative that Luke is painting for us. So what does prayer do? Let's dive into the prayer that Jesus teaches to see what we might find out. Jesus begins and he says, when you pray, say, Father. You know, we hear that and we think of this intimacy, the intimacy between father and child. This way of addressing God as father. Oh, there's a beautiful intimacy to that. But in most, as in most of Luke's gospel, there's also a political connotation to that. You see, in 4 BC, Caesar Augustus has declared himself pater patriae, the father of the fatherland. And Jesus says, address God as father. He's saying, God is your father and Caesar is not. He goes on and now we get back to this reference to John. John the baptizer on the banks of the Jordan looks out and he says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For God from these very stones can raise children for Abraham. Jesus says, Abraham is not your father. If we look back in Luke's genealogy, in that same third chapter of his gospel, we see that Jesus doesn't start with Abraham as Matthew starts with Abraham. Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning to Abraham and he says, and the son of Adam, the son of God. Abraham is not the father of all nations. Adam is the father of all nations. Luke says to these people that are gathered, and remember Luke's writing largely to a Gentile audience. He says, you don't have to be sons of Abraham. God will make you sons of Abraham. You describe God as your father because your nation is not the nation of Abraham. Your tribe is not the tribe of Israel. You are the tribe of God. You are the people of God. And we say, Father, we declare that we are children we declare that our nationality, our heritage, our clan, our tribe is the tribe and nationality of God. Father, oh, that intimate term followed immediately by hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. We go from this close intimacy to an awareness of the awesome power and glory, the vastness of the holiness of God. We're reminded of the law. The third commandment, do not take the name of your Lord in vain. 
Do not profane the name and reputation of God. Do not take lightly that you have called upon yourself the name of God. When we declare God as Father, we take on that name. Our actions become a reflection of that name. God, may your name be holy. May my actions be holy and glorify your name. Hallowed be your name. A beautiful invitation from intimacy with the Father into the glory of the divine presence. That very presence that made Isaiah fall down and say, Woe is me, for I've seen the glory of the Lord. The same that Peter recognizes as he falls down before the boat, before Jesus in the boat and says, Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. The intimacy and the holiness of God together in that address. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Wow, we have this focus shift. You know, most of the time I want to go to prayer and say, God, this is what I want. And now we come and say, God, do as you want. Your kingdom come. It's an invitation into seeing the now and not yet of the kingdom. We see this in the mission of the seven. Jesus says, go out among these towns. When you leave, whether they receive you or not, tell them the kingdom of heaven has come near. Your kingdom come. We see this in the synagogue at Nazareth as Jesus begins his ministry with a description of that very kingdom, the just and peaceful kingdom. And Jesus closes the scroll and says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Today you know the kingdom if you see me. In our prayer, we pray, place in me the desire for your kingdom. Grant me to see with kingdom eyes. Your kingdom come. Jesus continues, Pray this way. Give us each day our daily bread. And here, the Greek gets a little funny. Let, let me Greek out or geek out, if you will, for a moment. We might translate this just as well. Give us today the bread of tomorrow. If we, if we look at it literally, that's really what it says. Give us today the bread of tomorrow. The bread of tomorrow. The bread of the great messianic feast. Think about this as we pray. Give us today the bread of tomorrow. Give us today the bread of heaven. We hear an echo of the manna that God sends to sustain Israel in the wilderness. We hear an echo of the Eucharistic feast that we will celebrate. Give us today that great bread of the kingdom. You know, we also hear in this, for the first time, the first person plural. You know, we're, we're used to saying, our Father. Luke's manuscript actually omits that. We see Jesus begins with Father. The first time we see the first person plural is when we talk about coming together in table. Give to us our bread. 
remember that communal focus that we begin to hear as we explore this next supplication. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We have another little geeky part of language here. Jesus is probably teaching this in Aramaic. Luke is writing in Greek. So in Aramaic, the same word hope is used to mean either debt or sin. Same word, two different meanings, two different translations, really the same meaning to those in Aramaic, but in Greek we have two different words. In English we have two different words that are even farther apart. Luke intentionally chooses to use different words. He intentionally uses from the Greek sins to describe God's forgiveness of our sins, God's action to forgive sins, but he intentionally uses debts to describe our actions towards others. We forgive those who are indebted to us. We hear again this echo back to the synagogue at Nazareth as Jesus proclaims his messianic mission to the world. And he declares that this is the year of God's favor, the year of jubilee. The year in which all the debts in Israel are forgiven and their heritage is returned to those who inherited it, regardless of how they might have squandered it. Jesus proclaims this jubilee year, and this is the heart of kingdom participation. This jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor, this year in which Mercy is enacted, in which everything that I've amassed at your expense, I have to give back to you. Everything that you've lost through your own negligence, you receive back. It's really quite un-American. But that's because we belong to the kingdom of God. This heart of jubilee life in community. Let's hear Luke, how Luke goes on to describe this in practice, lived out in the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being made whole. And he goes on. Later to describe this beauty of community, this kingdom community of the church. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of, of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed 
to each as any had need. Kingdom Jubilee at work in the church. Jesus continues, lead us not into temptation. Do not lead us into the time of testing. You know, testing is a common theme throughout Scripture. We have Abraham tested. Take Isaac up onto the mountain and sacrifice to me your only son. Isaac is tested. Isaac has faith in the Lord, and it is accounted to him as righteousness. We even have Jesus compelled by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. He's tested to provide for his own comfort, to provide for his own glory, to usurp the way of God. Jesus resists, and Luke tells us that Satan goes away from him until the opportune time. We hear once again Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that all he has to do is say the word and be saved. He prays, not my will, but thine. You know, this lead us not into temptation, I think serves for us as a mirror of our own temptations. The temptations of our possessions. These things that are mine, these things that I worked hard for, these things that I don't want to share with you because you don't deserve them. Oh Lord, lead us not into temptation. The temptation of our politics. We heard in the very start, Father, Caesar is not my father, Abraham is not my father, George Washington is not my father. God is my Father. The temptation to divide into us and them. Lord, lead us not into temptation. The temptation of our idolatry. You know, we, we studied John and the epistles of John earlier in the year, and I, I, I still am convinced that to John... There's one major sin, the sin of not proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And that leads to two other sins, the sin of unlove and the sin of idolatry. The idolatry of placing our identity, worth, and value in anything other than as a beloved child of God. Oh, how often we succumb to the idolatry of saying, I am something other than than a beloved child of God. Or the idolatry on the other side of saying, oh, I can't be beloved. I'm just not worth it. But God has declared is true. You are a beloved child of God through Jesus Christ. Lead us not into temptation. So what does prayer do? We've seen Jesus teaching about prayer. What do we learn? What does prayer do? Does prayer bend the will of God to our own desires? Lord, I'm going this way. Bless it. 
Or as Janis Joplin said, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz? In our prayer, how often do we try to bend God's will to our own? Or perhaps prayer shapes our desire into the will of God. Perhaps. We'll come back to this question in a little bit. Let's think about how does prayer work? Jesus gives us a glimpse. He, after teaching this prayer, he tells a little parable. A guest comes into town, knocks on the door, enters into a house. This man looks about and he has no bread to offer before him. So he goes to his neighbor's house, he bangs on the door and says, Please, please, give me three loaves of bread that I may entertain this guest. And the man on whose door he knocks says, I'm already in bed. I've locked the door, I've turned out the lights, the dog's out, the kids are in bed with me. I can't get up. And now we get into this funny little bit of linguistics in this prayer as we see he. He does this and he does that. And we don't really know who he is. And Jesus says, and he will not give you bread because he is your friend. He will give you bread because of your impudence. Now that word that's translated impudence, we kind of think of as persistence, our, our boldness. But the Greek is shameless because you're shameless. And so oftentimes we take and we, we hold this parable up and say, well, if I ask hard enough, God will give it to me. If I'm bold enough, God will give it to me. But if we take and say, wow, in this parable, the friend whose door is knocked upon will give bread in order to prevent shame, in order to prevent the shame of inhospitality, we start to see this community coming together. That not because I'm your friend will I do this, I will do this so that the name of this community, the name of this town will not be put to shame by failing to offer hospitality to a guest. We heard from Genesis, Abraham pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel will tell us that Sodom and Gomorrah were condemned because of their inhospitality and unwillingness to share bread, and the widows and the children were hungry. Hallowed be your name. Not just the name of God, but the name of the community that bears his name. And then we have Jesus talking, and he says... Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to him it will be opened. Is he speaking of asking in prayer? Or is he speaking of asking in community? We have this great ambiguity in Luke's narrative. In Matthew's narrative, this parable in this talking about asking and seeking is placed within the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about talking to God. But in Luke, we have this parable 
following a teaching on prayer. If we read it as a parable on hospitality and community, we see something different. In Matthew's narrative, Jesus says, You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will God give good gifts to those who call upon him? But notice in Luke's narrative, how much more God will give the Holy Spirit to those who call upon him. God gives the Holy Spirit and forms a community of the Spirit, a community of the kingdom in which none are needed. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. That's not only a description of our relationship with God. It's a description of our relationship one with another in the community that is the body of Christ. This command of Jesus to ask and let others give. To seek what another has for you. Let the door be opened, even in the middle of the night, even when it's inconvenient, not just because we're friends, but because we are formed in the name of God. So what does prayer do, and how does prayer work? I submit to you that as we look at this prayer that Jesus teaches First and foremost, prayer shapes our understanding of God. And second, prayer forms us into a kingdom community. Prayer shapes our understanding of God. Father, I have a friend who says the entire ministry of Jesus, the entire earthly ministry of Jesus, is revealing who the Father is. Correcting the misconceptions of the people and revealing who the Father really is. We see that in John as Jesus says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Father, we allow prayer to shape our image of God. That name that is holy, that name that is above the name of Abraham and Moses, the name to which Abraham and Moses appeal. We heard Abraham going boldly before the Lord. Lord, far be it from you to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. You who are judge of all the earth, will you not be just? Abraham appeals to the name and reputation, the character of God as he intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. We hear Moses, as God on the mountain looks and says, Oh, this wicked people, why don't I just wipe them all out and I'll start a new nation from you? No longer will you be children of Abraham, they'll be children of Moses. Moses says, but Lord, what about your name? If you do that, then all the nations will see. And they'll say, he's not powerful enough to lead his people. Moses appeals to the name and character of God in his intercession. Prayer shapes us to know God and his kingdom. You know, the the Lord's Prayer is is indeed in our prayer book, in in all of our prayers. But 
the other beauty of our prayer book are these little prayers called colleagues. We have a colleague for the day. We have colleagues for some special times. And colleagues have a specific structure. First of all, the colleague describes a character of God. If we look at our colleague from today, Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. We have the character and nature of God taken from Scripture. We have a description of ourselves and a supplication. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us good things for which we are not worthy to ask. And then our colleagues close in a recognition of the sovereignty of the Trinity. You who reign forever and ever with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We see this as a model of prayer. The character and nature of God, our supplication, the sovereignty of the Trinity. Prayer works to shape our understanding of God. And prayer also forms us into a kingdom community. A kingdom community. One participating in the now of the not yet kingdom. The participation in that great messianic feast. Give us tomorrow's bread today. Give us the bread of promise even in this certain place, this certain time. Bring us in to the now and not yet mystery of the kingdom. Form us with the generosity and redemption of Jubilee. And do all this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer shapes our understanding of God and forms us into the beloved community. So today, as we feast on the bread of tomorrow, as we gather in prayer and worship in the intimacy and great holiness of God, as we are sent into the world as ambassadors of the kingdom, may we indeed have eyes to see the glory of God. May we have ears to hear the invitation of the Son. May we have hearts that are open to receive the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And all this that we may indeed be made whole. In the mighty name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.